0: If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter chapter 2. There is no Peter 12. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. And uh, the the title of today's message is Increase in Modesty. And here's the deal. It's not what you think, all right? We're not talking about what clothes you're wearing today. Um, Modesty is important. It still is to this day an important thing. But really what we're talking about, what we'll see Peter is warning against, are people that really are... Arrogant, prideful—they put themselves first. It's a me-first mentality. Uh, who cares about anybody else? It's um, this idea, which is the opposite of modesty, that really exists more and more in our culture today. Is that uh, I'm going to take care of myself? Um, I'm going to be first in line. I don't care whose back I have to climb over or, or what ladder I have to climb up. Uh, even if I'm kicking people off on the way up, I'm going to get there first. And uh, Peter's going to use the, the idea here of false teachers. And really, he's talked about them for a while in 2nd Peter. In fact, this whole 2nd Peter uh, epistle, this letter that was written is to warn believers about false teachers. And false teachers come in and they are not really about the gospel of Jesus. They'll use the pretense of church and and that they're holy and all these things, but they're really about attaining followers and lining their pockets and not telling people the truth. They want to present themselves in such a way that people follow them rather than Jesus. And that's a dangerous thing. And they'll, they'll uh, misinterpret the Word of God and really preach a lot of lies. And so Peter's going to tell us that when people like that present themselves, and it's really about me, and, and the, the wolf's uh, mask is pulled off, uh, or, or the sheep's mask is pulled off, and the wolf is revealed, that those type of people are dangerous. And for us, to be able to combat that, we have to know the truth of God's Word, but we don't live like that. We live with humility, with grace, with modesty, and it's such a virtue that I think we overlook. I know that I don't think about it often, but hopefully through this message today, it will help you remember where you stand. I want to use this this acronym even at the beginning. You've probably heard it before, JOY, J O Y. And really how we get joy in our lives is by that order. Jesus is first in our lives. I mean, we we hold him as preeminent. We worship him. We obey him. And then you look at others. How do you serve them? How do you bless them? How do you tell them the truth of God's word? How do you love on them? And then yourself. And so if you want joy, it's J-O-Y, Jesus, others, yourself. And that's a good way to think about how we prioritize Uh, the treatment of people in our lives, because we know God's taking care of us. He's never not taking care of us, and he always will. But when we start worshiping him first, putting others before ourselves, then we're going to see an increase in modesty. And so read with me in 2 Peter 2, verse 12, and this is where he begins. And I I believe I have this on uh, the screen. Uh, No, I don't have this passage on the screen. Uh, Peter says, false teachers, he says, but these men— like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, were born to be captured and destroyed. What's the instinct and nature of man? It's sin. And so um, he's saying that these people are acting out of their sin nature, which is self-preservation. He says, they blaspheme in matters which they are ignorant of and do not understand. In other words, they're, they're tearing God's name down to put their name on top. And he says, like such creatures, they shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Their destruction is their reward for the wickedness and harm they have done. They count it a pleasure to riot in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, which is a disgrace or a stain amongst us. They revel in their own deceptions as they feast with you. I think a lot of times, even unknowingly, uh, we accommodate and sometimes enable these type of people in our own midst says their eyes are full of adultery. Their insatiable desire for sin is never satisfied. They seduce unstable souls, and they live under God's curse with their hearts trained in greed. They've forsaken the right way or the straight way. They've willfully followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the gain from wickedness and unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his transgression by a speechless donkey. Um, I, I really like how the, the King James Version puts that, but I'm not going to read that today, okay? Um, we, he, the donkey rebuked this man with a human voice and by so doing uh, restrained the prophet's badness, madness. These men are wells without water and clouds carried by a tempest. The gloom of blackest darkness is reserved for them. Peter's not mincing words, man. He's saying there is something that exists that is uh, going to be held in special reserve and judgment by God. And, and here's really what he's saying. Can you imagine where uh, three of the little girls that we get the privilege of baptizing this morning were saved at VBS. Can you imagine somebody at Vacation Bible School taking advantage of being in a church or uh, being uh, a, a teacher, a vacation Bible school teacher, or a craft leader. Uh, I have two little ones, uh, six and four now. And can you imagine somebody using their position to tell those children things like, um, if you don't trust Jesus right now, you're going to burn in hell. Can you imagine somebody uh, leading those children away and saying, listen, the Bible isn't even true. You guys just do what you think is right, and that'll be okay, okay? Uh, can you imagine taking an innocent, naive minds that are so easily formable and moldable and teachable and pliable and, and, and telling them lies and leading them astray? But then can you imagine the reason why you're doing that is so that you can control them? And you can somehow profit off of that. That's what Peter's saying is the danger here. There are people who have crept in, unaware, we've read this in uh, the first part of 2 Peter, who have crept into churches primarily, and they are agents of darkness. They're not about the light. They're not saved. They don't want to glorify and bring souls to the throne of Jesus. They don't care about if you're doing better spiritually or if you're growing in righteousness. They just care that they have an audience, that people like them and applaud them, and that they look good in front of people. And in the process, they can make money, and they can get, win people's favor. And and it's a dangerous heresy because you're not leading people to God. In fact, you're leading people away from God. And that's what Peter's warning against here. Guys, how this fits for you, because most of you aren't going to stand in front of a congregation or even a room full of people and teach the Bible. Most won't. Some will. But use what you've been given. It's trust from God in order to edify and build up the body, not to tear down so that you can take whatever glory or gold is in it for you. Those people are going to be judged. In fact, he says there at the end, the gloom of blackest darkness is reserved for those type of people. They'll get their due reward. What do we do? Spot them, know who they are, be able to call them out. Don't be afraid in that. But the only way you're going to know what's right is if you've known God's Word. And so we got to be careful here. For several verses, Peter's been warning us against those who spread this type of uh, dangerous heresy and false teaching, and God's going to bring judgment on them. Those who are overconfident in themselves and who spite God eventually are going to fall. It's just going to happen. God's going to see to it. But many, I think, have forgotten about God's judgment. And I'm not just talking about false teachers. I'm talking about us, me, you, us. I think a lot of us have forgotten about God's judgment because we've been able to live however we want and gotten away without getting disciplined for our sin for a long time. A lot of people think, well, God's not gotten me yet, so I'm going to keep going with this. And uh, if God is even real— I guess I'll face him on that day. I'm going to trust that God is love, and he's not going to really judge or punish me for my sins. And that's a crazy way of thinking. I think we talked about this uh, just recently about the fear of God. When we've lost respect and reverence for God, we stop obeying him. We don't care what he thinks anymore. And that's a dangerous place for us, especially as believers, to live in. God will call us to account. And it's a deadly proposition to think that we're going to outlive God's judgment or outsmart God. Like I'm good enough to be able to hide my sin well enough that God will never find out about it. So when we pervert God's word and we lead people away from God, it's the equivalent to living an immoral life. And God judges that. And and I hate to speak on such a message about judgment and wrath today, but it's it's a severe warning. And I said this a few weeks ago, and I know I have this one on the screen, but it bears repeating. The greatest sin of humanity is really that while we know God exists, and I think I think most people, I think if we don't, uh, Scripture says that we're even given the natural revelation of nature to show us that there is a creator. But while we know God exists, we refuse to acknowledge what we know to be true. And so when we deny that knowledge, what we're doing is exchanging the truth of God for our own lies. We want to believe something that's fine, but we can't believe it and know that the truth exists at the same time. There isn't this moral relativistic truth that exists. It's not Brian's truth is different from my truth, so what Brian does is okay, and if I do something different, that's okay. God has an absolute standard, and we're to fall in line with that. He drops the plumb line down and he says, This is the way. The way to me, the way to forgiveness, the way to redemption, the way to heaven is through my son Jesus. Trust him by faith, follow him. That's the way. It's not all the ways that we come up with or that men will teach. And so um, we know God exists and we know that in in spite of that, that we're uh, oftentimes not listening or following him. Peter sounds a lot like Paul in Romans 1, where in Romans 1, verse 12, Paul says, But these type of people, like natural brute beasts who are made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. Same sentiment. When we exchange God's truth, again, for lies made up by men, it doesn't just lead to intellectual error, but it leads to immoral living. Here's the thing. What you believe, the ideas that you have, eventually lead to actions. Your actions and your attitudes determine day by day how you live. If you start with a faulty premise, you start with the wrong ideas about God or about people or whatever your idea is, eventually that's going to translate into how you treat people, how you live, what you do. And guys, day after day, what we do becomes our life. And at the end of our lives, we have to answer for those before the great judge. We need to be careful. So Peter brings up, he he did it last week, and I know some of you were here, some were not. But last week he brought up judgment in the Old Testament. And he said, it's basically like what happened at the end of uh, Judges where everyone did what was right in their own sight. And Peter used these examples. He said, angels fell from heaven because of pride. He said that uh, the, 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 the great flood destroyed the earth. Fire and brimstone rained down and the Israelites more than one time were put into captivity, taken as slaves by their enemies because of God's judgment. And here's the problem with that. When we start getting to a point where it doesn't matter, we can openly speak and curse God's name, blaspheme God, tear his word down, say of these high and holy things that they are nothing, we set ourselves up for judgment. And it's dangerous. And I know, guys, you, you watch movies. You have Netflix. I mean, you have Amazon Prime just like we do. You, you, you live in this world. Uh, you've been around uh, people in uh, construction and landscaping, which I was, and military and different things. And you hear the language that people use. How we speak is often a reflection of how we think as well. But you look at this world and you see, oh my goodness, what's the news? Uh, I watched a news article yesterday where a 73-year-old man in Philadelphia was beaten to death with a road cone, with an orange cone by a group of teenagers that stood by and they ca- caught him on video and they were laughing about this. I mean, that's the type of world in which we see presented in our news. Sad, pathetic, scary. We all see it. Now, that's the world in which we are still called, like we can't isolate ourselves from. And here's what church is doing nowadays. We, we insulate the church so well that if we do enough, we can keep them out and keep us in. And the problem with that is that we are called in the Great Commission to go to them. We are sent out as sheep amongst wolves, but all the while with the guidance and guarding of the Holy Spirit. God has us. We have stopped living like this over hundreds of years since the early church was brought into existence, but we're still called to go out. It's not to stay in and hope that they'll come. It's for us to go out and bring them in to the Lord. And so that's a bit of humility and modesty. It's not thinking less of others uh, all the time or putting them down. It's thinking, my God, that's the problem. How can I be a part of the solution? And so Peter and Paul are both speaking of this here. I don't think people have much fear of God anymore. But um, what happens is when we lose the fear of God, if I've lost fear of God, I'm not going to make it a priority to teach my kids that God is very important. I'm not going to teach them that God is holy, that you have to obey God's word. You know, in Sunday school class, uh, I guess the boys were given, who, who gave them that uh, Who's teaching my boys? I don't even know that. All right, Miss Karen. Uh, they had this little Bible. and That's what Sperry kept trying to show me all during worship. He's like, look at this. I see Matthew and James. He's like, Matthew's the middle part of the Bible. I'm like, yes, he is. Be quiet. You know, let's sing. I want them We want our kids, we want our little ones to have a desire for the Lord. The Bible says that uh, if we train them up in the ways of the Lord when they are old, they will not depart from that. It doesn't mean that we don't go astray because a lot of us have, but it means that we are putting in them a foundation of righteousness and holiness so that they will be able to grow and springboard off of that. Maybe when they're a teenager, they do what I did and really backslid and got away from God and got away from the church. Became a huge hypocrite. And then God calls you back to repentance and there is such an embarrassment for the things that you've done. I've lived that. I'm proof of that. I'm the billboard for that. But God is so great when we confess our sins to cleanse us from unrighteousness and to restore us to holiness. And that's the idea of modesty is not that you're a perfect person because there ain't none here. But it's when I've fallen, I'm humble enough to go to my God, even if it's for the 10,000th time, and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Help me. Restore me. And it's also saying, you know what, Lord? I don't esteem myself as better than others. I don't look down upon people in judgment. I don't uh, pray for the, the slaughter of others. I don't wish ill upon people. You know, the Lord doesn't even take or delight in the death of his enemies. That's what the scripture says. It pains God's heart that one of his creations has gone so astray that they've blasphemed God's word and tormented his people. But he does not take pleasure in their death because their death is eternal separation from him. And God desires for us to be with him. Um, Peter compared these people, he, he used the word arrogant, He said, when you're arrogant, you'll deny Christ. You'll deny the Holy Spirit. You'll hold God's word in low esteem. uh, And it's like animals. I mean, you think about animals. You know, we've been told time and again to not cast our pearls before swine. Why would you take your most valuable, precious pearls and give them to a pig? You know, that sounds stupid. And it is. You don't give good things to things that can't appreciate or understand that. Now, I have seen lipstick put on a pig before and people kiss it. Um, But it's an insane thought. You don't take valuable things and put them with things that have no respect for it. And so here we have this idea, man, if these people don't value and respect our holy, sovereign God, man, what are we doing? Even if they don't, I will. He says in verse 13, sadly here, um, if they continue to do this, they'll receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to riot and revel in their evil during broad daylight. You know what Romans 6:23 says? What's the wages of sin? Death, right? And sin earns us something. It accrues interest throughout our lives unless the blood of Jesus is there to pay that wage. Unless we have believed by faith, uh, the sin that we've committed, that we have this nature in us, continues to build up through the rest of our lives. We accumulate sin. And one day we're told over and over in Scripture that we'll pay for our crimes against God and even against His creation, against humanity. Unless we repent. And if we don't repent, our wage of sin will be fully delivered. And it leads only to spiritual death. I wouldn't want to pay the, the interest, guys, that my sins have accrued throughout my lifetime. I couldn't afford it. Instead, there was someone who was willing to take my place on the cross. And because he was the righteous, unblemished, spotless, only begotten son of God, he took what I could never do. He gave what I could never give. He lived a holy, perfect, sinless life, which I have no claim to. And in my place and in your place, he died on that cross as a thief and like a sinner. That if we will but believe, if we will confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, that we will be saved. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, Romans 10, 13, will be saved. John three sixteen, and you all know this. This is a verse we taught in Bible school. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Those truths are simple. They're simple enough for five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-old children to believe. But sometimes we think we've become so intellectually mature as we get older that we don't need those basic truths anymore, and we go astray. There's this increasingly popular breed of sin that exists in society today. And unlike some of these people, you know, where it talks about in the Old Testament, they do their deeds in secret in private under the darkness of night. We don't have that, especially in America anymore. We have a whole culture that's saying evil is good and good is evil. And they are performing deeds in broad daylight. Lewdness and perversity is no longer hidden. It's come out. It's unashamed. It parades itself and revels in wickedness while the sun is shining. It's proud of its evil. It promotes sin loudly. There's no attempt to hide it from the eyes of the world. That's the day in which we live. But guys, we're called to be different. It doesn't mean that you castigate those people because those people are also God's creation. Those are the very ones who do not know the love of Jesus or have the salvation of Christ that you and I have that need to hear it. And it is so easy for me and for you to judge other people. But what happens is that God, the great judge, he says, vengeance is mine, I I will repay, says the Lord. What's up to us, and, and it's a hard thing, I think it's the hardest thing for us, is to love other people like Jesus loved us. We have this terrible problem where we don't see ourselves as very bad. We, we don't see ourselves as having committed things that were ugly or gross or immoral. We think my sins are they're bad, but they're not as bad as. And we have this comparison problem. Well, when God looked at us, and if sin is all equal, he looked at us as dead in our trespasses and sin. He looked at us as apostates, as enemies of the cross. And yet he said, I'm going to send my son for you. There's going to be an exchange here. All of your evil, ugly, hidden deeds will be exposed and confessed and I'll trade you eternal life for your eternal death. And it's an unfair trade. And we look at that and we think, sometimes I think we think we deserved that somehow. But we've never deserved salvation. We don't deserve God's favor one more day. We don't deserve another breath. But God in his goodness has provided it. And so let us not be the ones that look at the world and judge them. Let us instead love them to Jesus as best as we can. Pray for them. Peter says that those who flaunted their depravity were spots and blemishes. And you know, guys, uh, that is in stark comparison to the unspotted, unblemished lamb of God that was been sacrificed for us. One day... We're going to be presented, the church, the body of Christ, which is the bride of Christ, is going to be presented to Jesus as a chaste and pure bride. There is a lot wrong with the church. There's wrong with this church, there's wrong with every church. But one day, there's going to be an exchange made. And how we're going to be presented only through the righteousness of Jesus is as an unspotted, unblemished bride that has been prepared for him. Don't hate the church don't dislike the church. Don't leave the church. Don't, don't talk ill of the church. You know, I asked this one time. There was a missionary, and he's written a couple of books, and he was speaking to a small group of people. And I got the privilege to go down to Little Rock and hear him speak. And he was talking about the church in China and how they've gone underground and how they're persecuted for their faith and arrested and thrown in prison. He was talking about churches in Cambodia and different parts of Asia. And he came back here After 27 years of being on the mission field, and he asked questions. He said, anybody got questions? And everybody's always afraid to ask questions. But I said, how do you see all of that and see how people are so willing to give their lives up for the cause of Christ? And then come back to America where we're so selfish and we complain about the color of the pew uh, upholstery, and we grop about the temperature, and if there's one light that's out, somebody can't worship Jesus, and we focus on all these second world or these first world problems. I said, "How do you come back from that to this?" And he said, "Let me, let me ask you this." He said, he went over, and his wife was there, and he put his arms on her shoulder, and he said, uh, "What would you say about my wife, negative in my presence?" Nothing. He said, the church is Christ's bride. He is working on her to sanctify her and make her more like himself. Is she imperfect? Yeah. Does she do things wrong? Yeah. He said, but who am I to speak out against Christ's bride? I was like, Ugh. Imagine if God were to stand you in his presence. Uh, Philip Harrington, think about this, brother. God brings you into his presence and he looks at you and uh, all that he sees is blemishes and stains and marks of disgrace. Can you imagine that? Now, I can't with my brother Philip. A Meek, kind, honorable man. But if it were not that, we, that Philip Harrington were covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that is what God would see. We have been imputed by faith, guys. When you believe, God no longer sees a dirty person. He no longer sees a sinner. He no longer sees the marks and the stains of evil, the things that we've committed and the things that we've omitted. He looks at us and sees the righteousness of his Son. He sees the love of that he has for his son. He looks upon us through those lenses. And so what happens is we have received righteousness from the Lord. When, now when God beholds Philip, when he beholds you, what he sees is no spot, no blemish, no stain, no sin. And it causes you and I to rejoice in that. We're not who we once were. We've been redeemed from the former way of life, and we're called to live accordingly. Will we fail? Will we fall? Yeah. But there's always grace. There's always a way. He has never left us nor forsaken us. And that's his promise to the end of time. It's sad to watch the world revel in what it does. Um, Peter uses a phrase in verse 13. He said, as they feast with you. And what he's talking about is people within the church. Uh, he's talking about the tares that are mixed in amongst the wheat. And I think a lot of times what happens is we come into church and we have our worship face on. We're wearing our good clothes. We're um, smiling. How you doing? Good, good. And like five minutes ago, you were saying, oh, her dress is so ugly. I mean, there ain't no hypocrisy in the church. Um, but here's the deal, a lot of us have been trained to have the church air we're entering. Nothing's wrong in my life. My family is perfect. My Facebook page is true reality of what I live. <laughs> that ain't us. And if it is, man, you need to be up here, okay? I'm not But what he's saying is that we have often allowed at our communion feasts, we're taking Lord's Supper next week, uh, and a lot of times unaware we're sitting shoulder to shoulder with people who really it's just, a, it's just a lie. I mean, going to church is something that you do to look good for people. Or you're a salesperson and you know that there's clientele at that church, or you're a politician and there's votes in that church. And we need to be the real in this. Continue to be the wheat in the midst of it. Verse 14 says, uh, they, these people have eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, and they entice unstable souls. You know who they're looking for, these predators? They're looking for people who are weak in their faith. They're looking for for people, men or women or children, that they can prey upon, that they can victimize. They don't care. They want to entice and entrap. They don't care what your problem is or your predicament is. They're looking for weak people that they can lead astray. It's sort of like the person that's so desperate for their loved one to be healed that they start watching Benny Hinn saying, Listen now, if you will, but send a $100 love offering. I will myself wipe my sweat, the holy apostles' sweat from my brow, and mail it to you. You lay it over your loved one, and they will be healed. And we're like, "Eh, I don't want your sweat rag. But there are people that are so naive, that are so unstable, that are so ungrounded in the Word, that they'll say, that's a holy man, and I want that. That's what's going to heal my my wife, or my husband. Be careful of what you believe. This gives us all the more reason to grow up, to increase in our faith, to increase in godliness, to know the Word of God. This is the last part uh, about how these people have forsaken the right way and gone astray, verse 15 and 16, and they followed the way of Balaam. I uh, don't know if you remember Balaam; he was a prophet, and uh, it's uh, it's the story of the talking donkey, right? If you remember that from when you were a kid. Um, when we wander off of God's path, here's the truth of this: when we and it's exhibited in Balaam and the donkey. When we wander from God's path, when we get away from God, it's just like a little kid. Okay, uh, I was talking we. We went to Disney World last year, and here's the deal. As long as my kids are within my line of vision, uh, we're not helicopter parents or anything, but as long as they're here, they're safe, all right? If my child runs off and goes down this alleyway and uh, goes back behind this building, and I'm like, where'd they go? We're worried about that, but we can't protect them in that moment. They're at the whim of somebody else. Well, here's the th- same thing with us as God's children. When we get out from underneath his covering and we, we willingly go a different way, and we, we say, no more, God, I'm tired of going your way, it's too hard. And we go out and we run off from God. We put ourselves in danger, okay? And so here's this story. I'm not going to read all, uh, I'm not even going to recount all of Numbers 22. It's too much. But in this story, there are two main characters. Well, four main characters, but there's two characters whose names sound the same. There's a prophet named Balaam. He's a false prophet. He's a prophet for hire, which just means that uh, he's kind of a, uh, a religious guy who can be hired for whatever the need is. And then there's a king named Balak. King Balak, prophet Balaam. Also in this story is God and an angel. Okay? And here's what happens. Uh, Numbers twenty-two, twelve. 12. Um, well, let me tell you this: King Balak is about to be attacked by the armies of Israel. Israel's been uh, conquering nation after nation, nation after nation, under God's protection and God's power and God's strength. And King Balak knows that the army of Israel is coming for his country now. And so, what he does is he goes out and he hires the prophet Balaam, and he says, "Balaam, I want you to curse God's army." so that we will not be harmed. And then in Numbers twenty two twelve, God speaks to Balaam directly. You shall not go with them. You shall not curse my people, for they are blessed. Now, Balaam was shook, all right? God just said this to him. But then King Balak sent a couple more emissaries and said, Listen, man, if that wasn't enough money, here's more. And he said, No, 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 God spoke. And then they come back and they say, How about we double what we just offered? And he's like, Okay, all right, that's cool. Um, Because Balaam was more interested in money than God. All right, a lot of people are. There's danger in that. And so what happens is uh, Balaam takes off on his donkey. He's had this donkey for a long time. And he starts on this path and he's going up this pathway uh, to the place over the mountain where he can curse the entire army of God. And what happens is all of a sudden his donkey digs its heels in and stops. There was an angel of the Lord standing in front of the donkey, blocking the path, and he had a sword in his hand already drawn. The donkey could see this. Balaam could not. As the donkey sat in its heels and did what donkeys do, refused to move, Balaam began taking his whip out, beating this animal, cursing him, cussing him out, telling him, you horrible, terrible donkey, you know, and all the things that he's doing. And it happened for quite a while. The donkey still would not move. And then finally, the donkey spoke up in a human voice. And I sure hope it doesn't sound like Eddie Murphy's voice (laughs) in Shrek. All right? Because that would be funny, but it wouldn't be really... A terrible threat, all right? But he says, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this very day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And at that moment, the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and Balaam bowed his head and fell flat on his face. It was only divine intervention that caused Balaam to finally obey God. And Balaam would go on. Man, you, you should go read Numbers 22, okay? That's, that's a good thing to read. Balaam went on to make four prophecies to King Balak. And this time it was on uh, from God. Balak, the king, didn't want to hear these things. But uh, in the fourth and last prophecy, Balaam was given a vision from God of the bright and morning star who would one day rise in Bethlehem and destroy all the sons of Tumult. This prophet, this false prophet, who would have sold his own grandmother for the right price, finally saw the power of God and he finally spoke truth. And he's saying, these false prophets are that type of person that follow in the way of Balaam. Man, if it involves money or making them look good or more famous, they're going to go after it. He says, avoid those people. Mark them. Stay away from them. And so, This comes down to this last part where it's the idea of the sermon is increase in modesty or grow in modesty. The last verse of today's message is these men are wells without water. What good's a well without water? Nothing. They're clouds carried by a tempest. What does that mean? You know, when they would pray for rain in those Middle Eastern climates and you'd begin to see clouds forming, it was like, yes. And then a wind just blows them away and all your hopes are dashed. Your hopes weren't founded. It's, it's like that. It's a well without water. It's clouds bringing rain that are blown away from you and you still have nothing. You're still dry. And that's what he's getting across here. Don't hook your wagon to those type of people. said this, and this is where we close out. Um, modesty attitude that's lived out modesty conveys humility not only how we dress but even more so how we present ourselves how we speak how we live how we act how we treat others you don't come in how many of y'all would be attracted to a person that came in and said you know what I'm the smartest person in this room and if you listen to me you might do okay like, okay, jerk, I'm going to go over here uh, to the person that says, you know what, I've studied the word of God all my life, and I know that I certainly don't know everything, but I'd like to help, I think you and I could help each other to learn and to grow in the word of God together. I'm going to be a lot more attracted to that person because there's some humility, some modesty that actually exists in their lives. Uh, how we act, how we treat other people. A modest person does not promote themselves or draw undue attention to themselves. It's the opposite of the ones who go out and perform their sins in broad daylight so everybody can revel in the perversion with them. We don't do that. We don't even need to let our left hand, our left hand know what our right hand is doing. We just do the works of God in secret, let God have the glory. I, 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 more than one time in my life have I received uh, an envelope that didn't have anybody's name on it that had either a note or money or something in it as a blessing and I'm like I don't know who sent this I don't even know who to thank and it was meant that way and so I just thank God and I thank God for the giver modesty listen to 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20 I think that's on the next slide do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have from God. Every believer has the Holy Spirit of God living within them. But you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Well, that price was Jesus' life. And therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And Sperry said, why'd you put Mickey Mouse on there? (laughs) He did ask that. It's like, those are just dots. (laughs) Yep. Um, What's happening here is that when we realize that we're just servants, that we're just children and everything that we have is by grace, it causes us to live differently. And God's saying to be arrogant and puffed up and proud And to live where you're leading other people away from God. It's like going to a well that's dry. It's like praying for rain and finding the clouds that are coming your way just get blown away. Those aren't the ways we're supposed to live. We're to seek God and his kingdom first. And when we submit, we live humble lives. When we submit... When we're modest before God and we don't try to take God's glory for everything, try to take credit for everything that's done. When we don't uh, puff ourselves up and say, it's about time, God, that you blessed me. When we stop demanding of God and we start receiving from God with thankfulness and gratefulness, then our lives are blessed, blessed now and all the way into eternity. And so the idea here is for us to increase in modesty, grow in it, guys. Not in our assertiveness, not in our pride, not in our better-than-you attitudes, not in brashness or self-conceit, not seeking the applause of other people, not greedy, but to grow in God's Word. We don't celebrate wickedness. In fact, we see wickedness and our immediate thought is either to get away from it or to pray for it or both. Don't follow after Balaam. Follow after God. Don't be enamored with this world. Its reward is judgment. Pray for this world. Take the gospel to this world. Live out Christ-likeness before her and glorify God with your body and your spirit. I'll say this, man. It sounds like a message about judgment is, uh, is light on grace. The thing is, is that every single person, even these false prophets, have the opportunity to bend their knee before God and to pray for forgiveness and to ask for salvation, and he will meet their need. Every person has that opportunity, but not everyone will receive it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this morning I pray that if there's pride in our lives, if we look down upon other people, if we just think that we're better than, or maybe we've been really blessed in our lives and uh, we've just been shown a lot of favor and we use that as an opportunity to put others down. Maybe we just uh, hypocritically just talk about people. Maybe we just want to be in control. Maybe we want people's applause and approval. Our greatest desire isn't your glory, but our own fame and glory. I don't know. Uh, We all sin differently, and there's lots of different flavors of sin, Lord. But you know each heart, and you know each need. And I just pray this morning, Father, that you would humble us. It's in humility that we can be built back up the right way. Lord, I pray for a, a righteous people, myself included. I pray, Lord, that we're just humble servants that go about obeying you, that we care about the spiritual state of others, and that we do good. I pray it's more than just social justice causes, Lord, that it's spiritual justice, that it's heavenly justice, that we would love people and take the great commission, the good news, the gospel of Jesus to everyone. Lord, as recipients of grace, let us be conduits of grace. Lord, if there's areas in our lives where we need modesty, um, Lord, I pray this morning that you would let the Spirit draw us to you, to ask for forgiveness and ask for help, that you change us. Help us to be better servants, better children. Help us to be wise enough to not follow after false teachers. Help us to be wise enough to train up our kids in the way of godliness and righteousness. Help us to be wise enough, Lord, to love people like you've loved us. Father, we love you. We confess that this morning. We pray for help. We pray for intervention. We pray for strength. We pray for humility. We pray for your love. Lord, I pray that you would lead us. You tell us that if we will draw near to you, that you'll draw near to us. And I pray this morning we do just that. No judgment, no condemnation, just your love drawing us to yourself to change us forever. We ask all of this in Jesus' most precious name. And all God's people said it. Amen.